so glad to be back. We had a, a fantastic Pacific Northwest vacation as a family. I think it's the best summer vacation we've ever had. We went, well, we did go, go to Italy on someone else's dime. That was pretty, that was pretty good. <laughs> this is the second best summer vacation we've ever had. We did Mount Rainier and Packwood. We did Yakima. We did Cleelum. We did Roslindtown. Where are you in the names? We did Leavenworth. Could stay there longer. That was great. Uh, we had a wonderful time, and then we came back. Uh, and uh, this weekend, and, uh, by the way, if you're watching online, welcome. Welcome everyone that's coming by. I especially want to welcome our special guest, Uncle Joe, Cheryl's Uncle Joe, his lovely wife, Susan. He's laughing. God, you don't have to stand up. But we're very happy to hear <laughs> Uncle Joe is a, a retired uh, Navy captain in the U.S. Navy and a Vietnam veteran, so thank you for being here. And he said to me, the other, he said, so do you ever get nervous when you preach? I said, well, now I do. Now you're telling me this. Sheesh. But uh, uh, today we're concluding our series. But starting next week, I want to give you a little preview for our August series. It's called On Purpose. Can you spot where you live? Do you see up by the, the top there? Um, the, the highways coming together. You see the logo for the church. And hopefully, hey, I would love for you to live beyond these, uh, this, this little map. But this is, this is really where God's placed us. And our series is called On Purpose. Now, if you're Uncle Joe, or if you can read a map, below that you see the longitude and latitude. That's exactly where we are. And there's a double meaning to the series, on purpose. Number one, we don't believe that there are any coincidences, that you are here by God's ordained will, that you're here on purpose. You're like, what, I was? Here in the state? Yes. And that we are together on purpose. We're, we are called together as a church. So, after the series about the kingdom of God, the next series is talking about how do we live out the implications, the, the calling of the kingdom of God in community? How do we live out on purpose and make a difference for, for the kingdom of God where God has placed us? Okay, so look forward to that next week. I'm so excited next week to invite Nate Strobel. Is Nate here? No. Captain Strobel, he's out? He's on shift. Okay, the son's telling us he's on shift. Uh, Nate's a different kind of captain, a captain in the Puget Sound uh, Fire Department, an elder, a disciple-making disciple, and uh, he has a good word for us for next week. But today, we're concluding our series, The Kingdom of God is Like. So many of you have been here for a few weeks, a number of weeks of summer through the series. What's the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven that's kind of synonymous? What is it? What's it like? Well, what we've learned is the kingdom of God that Jesus taught the people about looks so strange that it looked like to them an upside-down kingdom. That if Jesus was running for office, he would be on a losing ticket in first-century Palestine. I mean, who ever heard of a, a king leading by serving his subjects, gaining by giving away, winning by losing? Who ever heard a concept of of heaven first and foremost making room for the poor and the blind and the lame and the outsider first and foremost for sinners didn't make any sense and yet this Jesus of Nazareth claimed to be the Jewish Messiah he claimed that all of the promises spoken to the people of God for century upon century the promises spoken through the prophets the, the warnings spoken through those same prophets, all that came together in pointing to Jesus. 
that he was the Messiah that they had been waiting for. Now they, Messiahs had come and gone by that time 2,000 years ago, but Jesus was of a different sort. He says in Matthew, or excuse me, in Mark 1.15, repent, change your ways, turn 180, for the kingdom of God is here. It's arrived. It's close at hand, so that in his ministry, his spoken word, his teaching, but particularly in his, in his miracles, the miraculous things that he did, the signs and wonders, all of this was showing to the people that the kingdom of God was coming. The whole message of the Bible is that God has come to restore and rescue the whole world in Jesus, to bring heaven to earth. All the words of the Hebrew scriptures and everything written since then through the New Testament and beyond, all of it pointing to the coming of Christ. Jesus said, for those who have ears to hear and eyes to see, the kingdom will be available. The kingdom of God really is, is it means the reign of God, the, the rule of God. We believe in, in one true God, the living God, known as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who reigns and rules over all creation, the, the celestial planets that are spinning, it's by God's ordained will that that happens. The breath that you breathe in and breathe out, it's because God has allowed that to happen. But even as creation understands that creation gets it, you and I and most people kind of struggle with that, don't we? There's a point in, in Jesus' ministry when the religious elite are telling him to tell your crazy followers to knock it off. Shut it. Get out of here. Jesus says, even if I would do that, which I'm not going to do, even if they stopped singing out Hosanna in the highest, what does he say? The rocks themselves would begin to sing. Rocks themselves understand something about worship. And yet most people, myself included, rocks in our heads, we don't get it. And so we needed Jesus to come and explain it. And he was saying, in effect, here, that the kingdom of God has come, and you're hearing of my word. The kingdom of God is breaking through, breaking through the darkness and the hardship of that time, and even to this day. He says in Luke chapter 11, verse 20, quote, if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus had been casting out demons. The religious elite were accusing him of doing something in the name of Beelzebub and the name of the devil. He says, I don't know how to use the hand of God. I'm just going to use one digit to cast out demons. Then the kingdom of God, quote, has come upon you. He's saying, in effect, the kingdom of God is here and now. And I am exercising the power and authority given to me. Uh, when you know Christ in this way, when you know Christ as king, because it's a kingdom, and it's sort of strange for us, isn't it, as as modern Western people in, in, a, in a democracy being subjects to a, to a king and to a kingdom, but we understand that very much in our, in our worship and our following of Jesus, that we know him not just as a friend, Messiah, but we know him as Lord. That's a very uh, much a kingdom-type language. When you know Christ in this way, you know from your own experience that rescue and that restoration. Not, not entirely, perhaps not completely. Maybe your life hasn't been completely 180 degrees transformed. God never said everything would be perfectly well. He never said that there'd be no dark days. He promised that he would be with us in those dark days. But you know this kingdom. 
You begin to see it and see signs of it and, and hear of it. Because it's starting with you, this rescue and restoration starts to pour out and to touch those around you. Where we see chains of bondage broken. Whenever we hear of justice rolling down uh, like the rivers, that's from the book of Amos. When light shines in darkness, when we see people running into danger when others would run away. When we witness love in his name overcome hate, all these are signs of the kingdom. And I see heads nodding, like, yeah, I get that. And others, like, blankly, like, I'm not, I'm not quite into it yet. But I'm telling you, this is what it's like. And it's upside down. It's, it's so contrary to the world that we live in. And yet, we learn from Scripture that he's actually turning our world right side up again. You see, in Jesus' own ministry, and even today, this is a kingdom that's unseen by most people. His disciples were so confused. Why is it that all these incredible things are happening? We're feeding people. We're, you're healing people. Uh, people's lives are being saved. They're being uh, miraculously touched by God through you, Jesus. Why isn't every single person in this land of Israel following you? And what Jesus taught and what we've learned is not everyone takes it as the most amazing thing ever. Some of us say, hallelujah, and others say, eh. And that's the nature of the ministry. At some point, at some point during Jesus' ministry, after being explicit and clear, just driving points home and saying, this is it, this is who I am, I'm the answer, at some point in his ministry, he began to shift his style. Instead of speaking explicitly and directly about the kingdom, he started using stories, parables, allegories, ways to kind of slip in under people's defenses. And for those, he says at the end, that have ears to hear and eyes to see, they would get it. The vast majority would not. And so we've been walking through these stories, these parables, these illustrations, and trying to look at the passage, understand what it says, lay it out, and our reaction is one the same as it was at the time. It's either, wow, hallelujah, or, meh. But I'm glad that you keep coming. You're glutton for punishment if you keep saying, meh. So last week, uh, dear David did a fantastic job, articulate, gifted, passionate, uh, intelligent, well-delivered sermon on a really tough text. I, was, I gave you a really hard one, about 10 virgins. Have you heard this one? And you just knocked it out of the park. So that's the, the privilege I have as senior pastor. I give him the hard stuff. I get two little itty-bitty ones. Real easy. Okay, so it'll be real easy. You don't even have to stand up to read. I'll, I'll read them. They'll be brief. But these will be the final two in our series. They're found in Matthew chapter 13, verses uh, 44 to 46. Just a few verses. Listen now to these two very related parables in a series of parables. They come in, in, in couplets in this, in this chapter 13. And Jesus says this, the kingdom of heaven, or again, synonymous, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his what? Yeah, joy. Gosh. In his joy, went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought that field. How much is joy worth to you? 
Not, not happiness, not happiness that can be fleeting. And people would say, anyone that tells you you can't buy happiness, that's not really true. I could buy a lot of happiness. <laughs> you want to give me some money, I'll show you what I could do with it. I'd be very, very happy. Thank you very much with some money. But, but joy is of another kind. Joy transcends our circumstances, transcends our, our circumstances and our situations that, that, that we face. How much is joy worth to you? I want to do a little experiment. Just take a moment, calculate in your mind how much money you have. Think about how much money you have in the bank. Let's say I gave you a week. It sounds like a Liam Neeson, game, Liam Neeson movie. You have a week to come up with every penny you've got. You've got to liquidate your 401k, you sell off the stock, put the house on the market, and this market will probably be sold in three days. Think about what that number is. Some of us come up with that number very quickly. Others, it takes a little longer. Because some of us are good at math, and others not so good. And others have a lot more to think about, like, oh, I've got this thing, and this, and others have just a small little thing. But now imagine liquidating all of that to buy something that's going to bring you eternal joy. And what will we all say? That doesn't make any sense. And that's the point. Because we can't buy the kingdom of God and we can't buy salvation. It's not for sale. It's both free and it's priceless by the precious gift of Christ. These stories aren't about buying salvation. Uh, they're, they're about the value of the kingdom. Jesus is teaching the kingdom of God, entering into his kingdom, being, being in right relationship with God is so valuable that selling everything on earth but gaining heaven is worth it because it's a treasure. God came through Christ to rescue and restore, to set things right, to bring heaven to earth. That's what we pray. Remember our sermon on, on the Lord's Prayer? That we would bring heaven, oh God, we pray, on down to earth. May it be so on earth as it is in heaven. And this is a priceless gift. And Jesus is teaching in one of these final parables. Do you know what? Everything you have in this life, if you liquidated all of it, you put it on the table, it would be worth it of great gain, experiencing God's rescue and the implications of that joy. The Apostle Paul, uh, who was very wealthy, came from an affluent background. We can determine this because of the, the amount of education he had, his position, his uh, dual citizenship, all those things would purport to be someone who had great means. It would take him a while to calculate uh, his wealth, but he probably had the equivalent of three PhDs, so uh, he's a pretty smart cookie, too. This is the way he writes to the church in Philippi, chapter 3. Whatever were gains to me in the past, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I consider everything lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, coming into that kingdom, for whose sake I have lost everything. And then where does he go from there? He considers everything in his life, what? Garbage. He calls it garbage compared to knowing Christ, compared to finding that treasure. And some of us are saying hallelujah, and others are like, come on, really? Would anything really be worth that much? Man, I, I, I guarantee you, if I could have a fortune, let's say someone came to me and had guaranteed 
P, if you make an investment in this stock, it's going to 100 times pay you back. Or this bet, I'm telling you, what would I do? Well, first I go to Cheryl and say, honey, let's liquidate everything. How do you think that would go over with my wife? <laughs> what if I didn't tell her? Well, that would go over. But what if I just sold everything? What I, just put yourself in the story. Would you do that? No. I, can't we just do both? I mean, look at the story. He finds it in a field. I mean, finders, keepers, loser, losers, weepers, right? Can he take the treasure and put that in his pocket and go home and celebrate? Does he have to sell everything to buy that field? Like, could he negotiate the price on the field? Again, that's not the point. The point is that there are no middle ground options here. That Jesus wants everything. Before you think this is a stewardship sermon, let me tell you two things. Number one, we already took the offering. <laughs> and number two, the request here is for everything. We're going out of business. He wants it all. Jesus was confronted by Peter, his number one apostle, and, and uh, Peter was speaking on behalf of the others. You heard this a few weeks ago. Do you remember a few weeks ago we talked about this, where Peter came to, to Jesus on behalf of all, uh, all the guys, and he said, Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. And, and the implication was, what's in it for us? Do you remember what he said? Let me tell you a story. That's what he said. And that story was, at the end of the story, the big aha moment for Peter and the rest was, you know what's in it for you? You get the privilege of coming into my kingdom last and watching everyone come in first before you. And they gladly did it. All of the apostles were martyred. They were slaughtered for Jesus. And they counted it their joy, the privilege of being tortured and dying for Christ. Is that not an upside-down kingdom or what? Now, we have here a treasure in a field and a pearl of great value. They both represent Jesus Christ, the salvation he offers by faith through grace, they represent the rescue, the restoration, and all that the kingdom brings into a person's life. And these men, these two men, willingly sell all of their possessions. What do you think their friends thought at that moment that they did this? You're out of your mind. You are out of your mind. We can imagine that's certainly the, the response that the, the disciples' families had. Certainly the response that the Apostle Paul and his family had, and many others. But how about you and me? Where do we find ourselves in the story? To sell out everything for Jesus or do the sensible thing? Well, I'm going to give some of my life, some of who I am, away and guard the rest. Now look again at these two characters. And I might be reading into this, so forgive me if, if, if I'm stretching the, the parables too far. We can stretch them too far, can't we? We don't want to do that last week. David talked about the wise and the foolish uh, virgins. Kind of a stretch. We don't want to stretch it too far. Like how wise were they? Couldn't they have shared a little bit of that oil? I mean, they were wise, but they were stingy too. Let's not, let's not go there. So let's not stretch the stories too far. But when I look at it, I see in the first case, a man who stumbles upon this treasure. Now, there's no exact banking system like we have today. So people probably hid their treasure, maybe uh, in the ground, maybe in a field. Maybe this was something that was done at that time more so than now. But I'm reading into this that this man sort of 
just stumbles into it. And just kind of, well, it just kind of happens. But then the second man, look at the second man. What's his occupation? It says he's a merchant, that he trades in pearls, that he knows everything there is to know about pearls. He can hold them up, he can look at them, he can look at the shape, the size, the color, he can put the grade on them, he can figure them out. He's been at this for a long time. He's been studying it. This is what he does for a living, searching things out. So my question is, which, is, which are you? Some of us here sort of have always been in church. And it's sad when I hear you say, yeah, I don't have a really exciting testimony. I just, my parents brought me to church, and I guess I've always just known Jesus, and I just sort of, like the first one, I sort of stumbled. That's a wonderful testimony. Speaking as someone who's the only Christian in my, in my uh, nuclear family, that's a wonderful testimony. And in you know, the other case is someone who's been searching for a long time. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. I have that friends like, hey, I'm this flavor this month, and I'm this flavor. I'm going to try this religion. I'm going to try this. Uh, definitely in college. But even now, I have friends in the barrier. Just, oh, now you're this one. Oh, you're that one too? Okay, now you're this one. And just keep trying and searching and searching until they settle down and they find the one true Messiah, which are you? Notice something about the treasures. They're both hidden. One's in a field, the other is in the market. In the field, okay, it's in the field like we don't go looking for treasure in a field, maybe on a beach, you know, Treasure Island or something, but this is just some random field. But the merchant's uh, treasure, a pearl, there must be other merchants around, right? It's a marketplace for pearls, and yet, and yet, People miss it. And the detail here tells me spiritual revelation is missed by most. But the fact of the matter is, entrance to God's kingdom cannot be found merely by human intelligence or investigation, only by invitation, only by being invited. Consider the stories we've looked at last week. A story about a wedding where guests are invited. Think about the story of the great banquet where people are invited and they had come up with excuses and so the servants were sent out to invite other people to come. And on and on and on. It's about invitation, not just investigation. For reasons God only knows, one man stumbles upon the treasure, the other searches and searches his whole life, his career, everything is dedicated to finding a pearl. He probably thinks it's not really out there, it can't possibly be. I've heard... I've heard uh, rumors, I've heard people dream about this pearl until he actually finds it. But both of them react the same. They're willing to sacrifice all that they have because it's worth it. Is it? Is it worth every, the kingdom of God? Is it worth that much to you? To me? If you've been rescued and restored and you begin to make major life changes in your life, Christ is in the center of your life. If you've been rescued, restored, you're making little incremental, tiny changes. He's still at the center of your life. You haven't gotten all the way there, but you're hanging in a direction. Is it worth it? The answer would be, yeah. Yeah, baby boy, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth living contrary to the culture, living by a different set of values. It's worth clinging to faith in the darkness. Well, we've got nothing but to say, we've got God's word. I don't know what else to say. This is what I've got. It's worth it to commune with God, to enjoy friendship so deep. Look at the people next to you. 
Friendships so meaningful that the people you sit next to you are like family because they are family. They become family. And that's priceless. So the time we have, here's the challenge. Here's the challenge, NBC. Reinvest the dividends. Somebody say, well, what is he talking about? I'm not a business major, but reinvest the dividends. Reinvest what you've gained already from the kingdom. We could go on and on with uh, parables about the kingdom. There's so many more that we didn't cover. One of them is the parable of the tenants in the fields. Do you know about this one? Uh, Jesus says, uh, the kingdom of God is like uh, a master who leaves, and he leaves to his servants a, a certain amount of money to invest on his behalf. You know this one? He leaves, and when he comes back, the first couple invest that money. They double it. He says, well done. I'm going to bless you. What happens to the last one in the list? This is the warning, right? He says, I knew you were a hard man, and so I buried it. Here it is. No dividends. No return on your investment. Here it is. I buried it. And what happens to him? Not so good. Beloved, this is the most generous church I've ever had the privilege, not only of serving, but being a part of. And it's a great joy to be part of this church. You know, before I came, we had the, the Gen to Gen campaign. Many of you were here. Some of you are brand new, and you weren't aware of this. It was a, a program called Gen to Gen. It was uh, an opportunity to invest uh, in the campus here, to refurbish, and also to pay down the debt when this incredible facility was built uh, in the early, mid-2000s. And in a time of uncertainty, this generous church raised $1.2 million. That's a staggering amount of money. And think about the stock market. If you know anything about stocks, what is it, how does the stock market react to uncertainty? That's so, right, it kind of plunges, right? An uncertain time, a season-long founding pastor of, after so many decades is moving on. There's a search team finding a new pastor. People aren't sure. Uh, they got a foot in, a foot out. What's happening? And yet, and yet, no fear. No fear here. And enjoy an investment of a staggering amount. Now today, where are we? Today we're in a more certain time. We're, today we're feeling bullish. We're, we're seeing the Holy Spirit move in, in great ways. We're seeing new people come. We have two services this, this summer. We're seeing our church grow. Welcome. Welcome back. We're seeing uh, things happen. It's so exciting. I'll tell you one thing that happened. The night before we started our vacation, we had an elders meeting, and the elders put forth, one of our elders put forth a plan that would pay off our bank loan in the next three years because of the generosity of our church, of what you're investing in the church, that we could pay off that bank loan in three years' time. It's amazing. And I believe 100% every one of you is here for a purpose. And so I'm, I just decided this morning, I just felt led to start sharing with you some of the things that God has been speaking to us, and I mean the pastors, the leadership of the church, as we've been listening this whole year. Because listen, we all need to be a part of this. I've never been in a place where the staff and the elders and the leadership are so certain about things going well heading forward. It makes me want to stop and say, okay, as certain as we are, we can't be certain. We can't be certain about anything about the future, right? But we can be clear. We can clearly discern God's 
vision and direction for us if we're prayerful. And we can't do it alone. We need your insight. We need your, your ideas. We need your confirmation. We need your prayer. So I just wanted to give you a little sense of what we think God is doing here. I'm going to give you a preview of what's coming in September and all these series are sort of building towards. So here it is. I believe that God has called us to this place for a new season in which we rededicate ourselves to this vision that we are family. That we are part of a family like none other. I'm certain of it. And yet, I'm also terrified because I could be wrong. So we need prayer and we need insight. But I believe this is happening. A new season is coming in which you and I will have an opportunity to finish what was started years ago and to see God do a great big new thing in this place. An expansion of children's ministry and the preschool, which already were expanded to the limit. I mean, the place is busting out the seams. We've already opened up another room for the preschool. And we're saying, Lord, you laid it on our hearts years ago to build upward or outward. We're, we're seeing your calling to do that, to expand children's ministry and preschool, to expand our care to the two neighboring schools and expand the classroom space for that, to invest treasure in the care for the most vulnerable children in our community, for the people there on, on the edge of homelessness in our community. I'm talking about the kind of, of investment in family of every type of social, economic, and circumstance we can imagine. So yes, uh, families with a mom and dad, a traditional family, mom and dad families, but single parent families, grandparent-led families, step-families, foster care families, families that are seeking uh, to adopt, single people that are saying, I'm all by myself in this world, but this is my family where I invest in you. We want to invest in supporting foster care parents and parents that are seeking uh, to open their home to kids in need. Our Father is preparing us to make a significant investment in helping families know God more deeply. So we want to see, imagine this in the next five years, a before and after school program at our church. Imagine more tutoring and mentoring of teens, giving them an opportunity to learn new skills and to grow. We see our youth ministry on the rise. In the next five years, picture a dozen more small groups with trained MVC hosts in Canton, Auburn, Covington, brand new 10 trails, Fairwood, Ravensdale, Issaquah, you name it, Tacoma, we'll pray about it. So you come to me and say, Pastor you didn't mention Tacoma. Okay, let's, let's add to the list. Let's pray. I see our investment in world missions, global missions continuing to grow and grow, but not incrementally, leaps and bounds, and new mission opportunities to explore in the coming year. I see things like we just announced, we start, everyone's like, oh, that's fine, yeah, helping hands. You realize this is coming from our church, the leadership here, Pete O'Brien, Paul Kemp, and others saying, let's do this, let's make a difference, let's mobilize the church together to make a difference in people's lives that can barely stay in their own homes. Folks that are, are, are house poor, you know what that means? It means you, you can live in your house, you have nothing to make ends meet. No way to fix that fence or build that ramp for a loved one. We want to do that. And we want to see this Christ-like character grow and touch people's lives. We want to see marriages rescued. We want to witness wounded people made whole again. 
We want to see a church that is reaching out. So when we say we are family, this isn't just a close set, let's huddle up and we're going to be our own. No, no. This is a kind of family, God's family, that goes out and shows love. And so someone says, well, you know, I'm not Christian. We love you, though. How can we serve you? Someone says, you know, I'm of a different faith, a different religion. That's okay. We love you, too. We want to serve you. We want to learn from you. We want to meet real needs. Is all that worth it? Starting in 2020 for five years? I say, heck yes. Answer my own question. That's building the Lord's kingdom work. That's worth living for. The great value in these parables, of course, is Christ paid himself for our redemption. He shed his blood on the cross. If he's willing to give his precious blood on the cross for me, and I said, what? What do I have that isn't coming from God that I wouldn't offer back to him? And he's going to give me a portion back, a very big, generous portion, living so high on the hog compared to the rest of the country and the rest of the world. And yet he says, here's the opportunity. What a beautiful opportunity. Enjoy. Cheryl and I rewrote our will. We included Maple Valley Church in our will. John's like, wait, what? What does that mean? <laughs> we'll have to be here a long, long time. I'm not ready to go anywhere anytime soon, but... We believe so strongly what God's doing here until he comes again. So that's the encouragement, friends. Let's, let's pray about this. Let's consider how might we invest the dividends. I heard this note from a fellow named, uh, a, a brilliant man. We may or may not agree with everything he says, but Cornell West said this week on a podcast, if, if the kingdom of God is in you, you should leave a little bit of heaven wherever you go. I like that. If the kingdom of God is in you, you should leave a little bit of heaven wherever you go. We are family. We're family now. Let's make a difference in our community. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to make a difference. We're so accustomed to playing by the rules. We're so accustomed to going along the traditional route of how we're expected to behave. Our behavior is being tracked by Facebook right now. Um, we want to do something radically different. We want to do something that's unusual, something that stands out. That's what was happening in your first church, in the early church. And that's what changed the world. That's what overthrew an empire. So God, in our corner of your kingdom, we want to be a part of that. We want to be part of this new vision that you have in store for us. And we need confirmation from our covenant partners, confirmation through prayer, through conversation, through listening and listening and waiting on you. Lord God, as we prepare to come to the table, we know that we need to get right with you, God. Uh, this table is, is open to all who, who know you as our, our Lord and King, Lord Jesus. And we know that you've taught us to come to this table uh, with both joy, but also kind of a sober self-reflection. So God, will you hear our quiet confession of our sin? of the things we've done and left undone that you'd have us lay before you now. Listen, Lord, and respond to us. We take this quiet moment to prepare to come to the table.